victory in Jesus, let's talk about the contest. Let's talk about the war that's being waged after the victory. After the victory. I, I want to... Um, I want to share with you on that topic today. Towards the end of his life, John Wesley preached from one passage of Scripture more than any other. It's the verse that inspires me as I start the new year, asking God to do a new work in me. It comes to us from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, and when it's right there on the screen, it says, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. It turned out that in preaching about a new thing, the content of his sermon was on sin. In fact, in fact, uh, these words here with the first slide, uh, these are the first words of that sermon. Is there then sin in him that is in Christ? Does sin remain in one that believes in him? Is there any sin in them that are born of God or are they wholly delivered from it? Let no one imagine this to be a question of mere curiosity. Or that it is of little importance whether it be determined one way or the other. Rather, it is a point of the utmost moment to every Christian. The resolving of which very nearly concerns both his present and eternal happiness. This is Wesley beginning a sermon in all caps saying, This matters a lot. This is Wesley saying, pay attention. And and the central point of what I want to convey today, I believe, like Wesley, is of utmost importance. The central point of, of this question of sin in one who has been saved is a big deal. And, and like every Sunday, I want to offer scriptures to support it. But, but i got to tell you, I've struggled because, because this sermon feels different. It, it, feels, it feels different, which is, in, in parentheses, a way of saying boring. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes, maybe 20, being boring. I... Uh, I talking about sin, I have racked my brain all week long trying to figure out what kind of props I could bring in to demonstrate sin. And every single time I came up with a great one, my brain said, nope, that'll get you in trouble. Are you with me? So there's no props, there's no videos. But I don't want the method to cause any of us to miss out on this message that Wesley himself Believed was so important. Now, the, now the truth is, the, the best of us around the room, the best, the best folks we know, are aware that, that in the midst of talking about a new thing, we've, we've got to appreciate the old thing as well. I mean, one, one of the truths about the way we've been made is that we have this, this ability to remember. We have been granted this blessing of memory. But what point 
is memory of a past experience if we don't learn from it. Said every parent to their child ever, right? What, what, what point is it, what, what point is it to, to, to have experienced something if we don't actually remember what we learned from it? I'm starting... I'm starting this, uh, this, this new year reading a book by a guy named Michael Hyatt. I've not read from him before. New York Times bestselling author, uh, and, and he's got this book that he wrote just one year ago, and it's called Best Year Ever. And I'm, in, I'm about two-thirds of the way uh, through reading it with, with my headphones in as I, as, I, as I go out and walk during the week. And so I'm listening to this new book, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, four or five hours into listening to it, and it's this book on how my, this, this coming year can be great, but, in the, but smack dab in the middle of the book on the future, he has a chapter titled, Thinking Backward is a Must. Michael Hyatt, New York Times bestselling author, is saying that to get ready for the future, you've got to think backwards. And this is actually a little snippet of what he says. Completing the past is an essential part of designing a better future. We can't complete the past. He's talking about regrets. He's he's, he's talking about uh, lessons learned. He's talking about disappointments. This is actually in the book. Disappointments. He's talking about triumphs and victories. Things that we were credited for and the things we did that we did not credit for. He actually has a whole whole section on that. That we need to spend time dealing with the past and the things that we did that no one gave us credit for doing. All this stuff in the past is impactful for the future. Because until we acknowledge what we've already experienced, we we can't complete the past. He says, as a friend of mine told me, an experience is not complete until it's remembered. It's not enough to do it. You have to get past it and look back at, at what it was and what it meant. And I think this is true about salvation and sin. Let me go ahead and give the answer to the question that Wesley asked. Is there still sin in a saved person? And the answer is yes. At the, at the very outset of his sermon that he published in 1763, Wesley says that despite extensive reading and study, He found no shred, these were his actual words, no shred of evidence that anyone in the early church believed that sin was immediately and completely eliminated from the believer in Christ. Wesley Wesley was this student and scholar of of the past. And he he, he read extensively not just the Bible, but, but, but the early fathers and mothers of the church. And he said not a single one of them thought that. But, but in his time, and still today in our time, there are those believe, who believe it. In fact, when he rewrote the Articles of Faith for the new Methodist Church in America in the late 1700s, adapting those from the Church of England, article number 12 was titled, Of Sin After Justification. After we've been justified 
by the work of Christ, there's still something to say about sin. He writes it. After we have received the Holy Ghost, we may depart from grace given and fall into sin, and by the grace of God rise again and amend our lives. And therefore, they are to be condemned who say they can no more sin as long as they live here, or deny the place of forgiveness to such as truly repent. Now listen, listen, let me, let, me, let me restate this. Wesley is saying and has written in the articles of faith that are now found in the front of our book of discipline, our church, our church law and what we believe to be true. Still today, Wesley says, condemned. Can we agree that's strong language? Condemned are those who say that after they've believed in Christ, they are now impervious to sin and can sin no more and condemned those who say that you and I don't need to ask and seek for forgiveness and that forgiveness is not granted to us because now that we've been saved, we can't sin anymore either. Condemned. He's, he's referring to this to this still in pockets of modern Christianity, to this idea that once you're saved, you're, you can finish it for me, right? Always saved. He says, no way, no how. And then he supports it with the scriptures. This, this question of, of sin in someone who's come to Christ is actually uh, is one of the first topics that's dealt with in the way our church does one-on-one discipleship. Uh, men and women sit down and disciple each other. I, uh, I, I had the chance when I, in my first year of, of doing it here, sitting down across from Larry West, and he was discipling me. And, and this was one of the questions that came up in the, in the passages from 1 John. Now, now, last week in the scriptures, we heard clearly that prayer and fasting and spiritual obedience were the things that God used to prepare us for what was happening next, for for the new thing. And and I want to talk about the new thing, but I want to do it understanding that there is something to learn about the old nature that remains. And I want to do it by looking at two passages, the first of which is from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. So I, I invite you to turn in the Bibles that you've brought with me, uh, brought with you. Uh, let's, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. This is, one of the, uh, this is one of the earlier letters that Paul would have written. Galatians chapter 5, we're right at the end of Galatians. And we'll pick up in, in verse 16. This is what Paul writes. I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your fleshly desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want. Now listen, this is, this is Paul saying to the church in Galatia. Let me, let me say that again. This is Paul saying to the church, which is made up of women and men who are believers. This is Paul writing to a church filled with women and men, men and women, who have known Christ, still know Christ, and are counted on the list of those who are saved. 
those who are justified, those who have, who have been reconciled by the work and blood of Christ. This, this, is, this is the good guys and girls. And he's writing to them and says, inside of you, you have these opposing forces. Throughout, throughout his letters, he would say, uh, he would say uh, spirit versus flesh or old versus new. This is what he's talking about. Verse 20, I mean, excuse, excuse me, verse 18. But if you are being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use and casting out spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. He's writing to people who are on the right side of things, and he's telling them this is still possible. And, and I read the list, and I'm convicted. Let's talk about my last week. Jealousy, competitive opposition, and rivalry. And no, David, I'm not talking about the, uh, <clears throat> the game on Monday night. How did that turn out? Pretty good, <clears throat> yeah. Pretty good if you're a Clemson graduate. No, I'm not talking about something we would tune in and watch. I'm talking about the stuff that we would not want anyone to see that's playing on the screens of our heart. I mean, these are, these are sins that I, that I find myself stumbling on. And, and what does he say the potential consequences are? It rhymes with hell. Hold on. It's hell. But now, I want to be clear. Wesley in his sermon, and I don't, want to, I don't want to lead anybody different. Wesley in his sermon says that while in our freedom can still sin this way. While in our freedom, I still sin this way. It's not that sin reigns any longer in my heart. It's Christ that reigns in my heart, but sin that still remains. I am a new creation. I have been won over, but I'm lying to myself, and not a single one of you would believe it if I said that I had been completely won over and was now made perfect from those things. It hasn't happened that way. For me, or look to your neighbor and say, you either. <clears throat> Y'all didn't play it long. No, no, Wesley makes it clear in his sermon that, that while Christ reigns, sin remains. But because we have freedom, but because we have freedom, there is the, the, the potential that hell could reach up 
and not just cause us to stumble, but to cause us to stumble and fall and stay down. Which would then reverse the good that has happened and cause hell to win. So he's, he's offered this list of sins, but he follows it with what life should look like in the victory. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. He says, he says to belong to Christ is to crucify those things. I believe what he's saying is to belong to Christ is to crucify those things every day, every hour if necessary. We, we, uh, our family, some friends, we, we traveled to New Orleans just uh, just two weeks ago. I, I didn't bring it up last week because I wanted to be kind to the Georgia fans that were still getting over the loss that happened down there. We did have the chance to go to the Sugar Bowl and, and see um, Texas and Georgia play, but before the football game, we spent two entire days in the French Quarter. I, uh, I've turned in all the receipts from being there because I was preparing on a sermon on sin. So I just figured that all my expenses, is that, can I get approval, David? Nope. Where, Tammy? I don't, maybe not, maybe not. <clears throat> we, um, we avoided sins. We did, we did. We, we avoided sins right up until we sat down in front of the plate of beignets at Cafe Dumont, and then I just gave in. But, but jokes aside, that, that earlier list, every bit of it was on display from Decatur Street to the other streets I don't remember all the way to Bourbon Street, right? You know, I mean, all the, 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 the whole place. And yet for all the sins that were on display and available for you either to, either to see or to purchase, right? Right in the middle of it. It's beautiful. This, this cathedral reminds us that for however much sin there is, Prayer exceeds it all. The, the, the steeple of that church we went in, and the steeple of that church is higher than the rest of it because prayer is higher than the rest of it. Sin, sin is not this thing that we can push off on others. Sin is this truth that remains with us. And, th- and there was no greater testimony to that than the Apostle Paul himself, who wrote these earlier lists. Later in his life, towards really the end of his life, maybe, maybe one of the, 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 the last letters he wrote, to the church in Rome. Tammy, you got that? I'm going to just read that, that, that first verse, that, that, that verse 19 of chapter 7. Just this one verse. He says, this is Paul writing about himself. I don't do the good that I want to do. But I do the evil that I don't want to do. He says himself. 
that this, that this war that's happening between me, between the law of the flesh, that's what he goes on to write, the law of the flesh and the law of the spirit, you see it playing out before you. And it, and it feels like I'm losing. Because, because in my freedom, I choose badly when I want to choose rightly. I want to do good and I do bad and I, and, I, and I do bad and I can't explain why I'm not doing good. And yet, Christ still wins because of the power of prayer. This is, this is a sermon on sin, but it's not a sermon that, that, le- that leaves us walking out of here going, all is lost. No, all has been won. But, but don't find yourself losing because you thought that the internal battle was over. It's not yet. And, and, and it all comes back, it all comes back to prayer. But <clears throat> too many Christians, not all of us, maybe not even most of us, but, but enough of us that it's worth talking about. Too many Christians view prayer as this, as this transaction. And, and especially a transaction that we are engaged in on behalf of others. There, there, there are too many Christians that, that, that spend their prayers saying, all right, God, I want to remember so-and-so, and I remember what's-her-name, and I want to remember him, and I'm praying for my kids, and I'm praying for my spouse, and I hope that, you know, and, 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 you know, and I'm praying for all these other people, and they stop. When, in fact, the Scriptures make it clear that in addition to pray, praying for the people who are around us, we need to pray for us. Because as the kids say, the struggle is real. These forces within us. I I have long believed it to be clear that we need to never cease praying for ourselves too. Let's pray that the, the, the defeated sin that's still found in our human nature would stay defeated. And that grace would continue to reign. Christ has given us the power. But we still have the freedom to mess it up. So I want to I close with, with three slides that, that are how really Wesley closed this sermon on sin in believers that he published in 1763. Hear these words for us today. The sum of all of this There is in every person, even after he or she is justified, two contrary principles, nature and grace, which the Apostle Paul calls the flesh and the spirit. Our old judgment is now passed away. So are our desires, designs, affections, tempers, and conversation. All these are undeniably new, greatly changed from whatever they were. And yet, though they are new, they are not wholly new. Still we feel to our sorrow and shame, remains of the old person, real moments of temper, of desires, when our flesh is fighting against our converted minds. Yet, it cannot gain advantage over us as long as we watch with prayer. My prayer for the church is that we would be in prayer. 
that, that our witness to the world would be one of victory that still has the struggle that we are winning. Let's pray. Gracious God, allow our prayers to be used by you for our good that your glory might win. Lord, help us to be aware of the strategy of hell to lead us into this blissful ignorance that sin somehow is no longer present. Make us aware of all that would trip us and cause us to stumble that we might stand upright and get up when we fall. That we might repent and turn back around and find that Christ reigns in our hearts. This is our prayer. And we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen and amen.